You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Ross Steele. Guys, hey, it is. Um it's been a long time since I've had a podium, and some of you are probably like, man, Ross has a podium again. It's going to be boring. Uh, that's not going to be the case, but I, I wanted to explain why. I, I, so for those who are new, I used to have a podium, and I felt like the Lord was convicting me to take away the podium. It's a crutch because I would manuscript my notes. And then I went to these notes that, that you have today, and that's all I would use in slides, and it's been fun. But today's text is very uh, it's very critical. It needed, it, in my opinion, needed to be handled with the utmost care. Um, it, can be, it can be confusing. A lot of questions can arise from the text today in, in a number of different ways. And quite honestly, I'm human, and, and I could very well mess it up, uh, and I don't want to do that. So I went back to a manuscripted note, not because I don't have faith in the Lord. I just felt like that's where the Lord was leading me. Like, hey, this is a very, and it needs to be handled with great, great, great care. And I wanted to do my best and steward this text as best I could for all of you and for myself so that there aren't any remaining questions afterwards so that, therefore, I, like, his, his, his word will be, uh, it'll, it'll just be done well, ultimately, and done with great excellence. And, and, and that's what I, what I strive for. And so that's why I have the podium. It's still going to be a great word, and I believe the Lord still has great things for every single one of us. I promise you, I'm still going to have fun up here. Uh, but I just wanted to explain that because I know some people probably would be like, why did Ross go back to the podium? Well, there you go. Now you don't have to ask the question. You already know the answer. But um, where, where we're at, the title of my message today is Innocent Son. And where, we've, where we were last week, just a brief recap that David, he's been confronted by the prophet Nathan in regard to his heinous and unconscionable acts of, of adultery with the wife of Uriah, who is Bathsheba, and, uh, and he arranged for Uriah's death because of the adultery, and, you know, Bathsheba got pregnant because of their affair, and then uh, he tried to cover us up, kills Uriah, all this stuff. And I want to go back to verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 10 through 12 real quick. Is now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. He raises, he, basically what's happening is he's making a promise. And in verse 13, after this, says David's response is, uh, is I have sinned against the Lord. Um, and, and we covered that last week. And now we find ourselves with this confession that uh, uh, may be a bit too, too simple. And, and honestly, I doubt that the sincerity of David's repentance um, and I want to point out a text that we're going to get into and listen to how David would later express his remorse over and, and rejection of his sinful ways. And this is from Psalm 51, uh, 1 through 4, and then 9 and 10. And I'm going to hit on is uh, Psalm 51. This is written by David. Uh, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
uh, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is, this is what we would come to find out later. This is David's response in this moment. He has great remorse and rejection, and he writes Psalm 51. But in verse 13, also provides us with Nathan's response. We should say, well, really, God's response to this moment, this royal repentance. And Nathan said, the Lord has, has put away your sin, and you shall not die. It is, it is actually this response by Nathan, that will serve as the foundation for, I believe, our entire study this morning, for God's message to you and I this morning. And after David delivered God's message to, to David, after Nathan delivered God's message to David, we read this in verse 15, back uh, at it again. So, so Nathan, maybe here, so, there we go. So Nathan went to his house. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David, so that he was very sick. Now wait a minute. What is, what is going on here? This, this doesn't really make much sense. You, you probably questions are already coming up. Why has God afflicted David's newborn son? And we go back to look at verse 14 to find this. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. Let me begin with a couple key points based off of this text that we've covered this far. So far, the number one point that I want to bring up is that David deserved to die. David confirmed that verdict in 12.5 in issuing his sentence against the rich man who took and killed the poor man's, uh, the, the poor man's ewe lamb. And he, his response was, he deserves to die, talking about that man. And then Nathan goes on and says, that man is you. So Nathan knows because in that parable that Nathan's speaking, basically, is like, hey, he should die. And then, so now David's response, Nathan's response makes David be like, oh, I should die. So David deserved to die. We know this. And of course, David's guilt was not based on stealing and slaughtering a lamb. It was based on stealing a man's wife and then arranging for that man to be slaughtered at the hand of the uncircumcised Ammonites. Based on God's law, David was worthy of death on two counts. But in verse 14, we also find the second point. And even though David deserved death, instead, the innocent son was sentenced to die. The innocent son was sentenced to death. This baby was not guilty of adultery and murder, and yet this baby boy was afflicted by God and condemned to death. Now, I think most of us, most people, would be disturbed by what's going on here. I think most people would be uneasy about what God did in this situation. And the Lord afflicted this child in this situation that would cause this child to die. Why would God do this? Why would God afflict an infant? Didn't Nathan tell David he was forgiven? No, he did not. Nathan did not tell David that God had forgiven him. If he had, Psalm 51 would read very differently. Think about the verses from Psalm 51 that I'd already read that we looked at before, that Psalm 51 is a plea for forgiveness. 
not a plea of received forgiveness. It is a plea for forgiveness. It's not a psalm of praise and, and thankfulness in light of forgiveness received. David was going to be punished. Judgments were coming. Judgments from within David's house, as we talked about just uh, just here at the beginning of this message. But in addition to those judgments, David's newborn son was also going to die. David was not forgiven, but he was shown mercy by the heavenly judge. He was given a lesser sentence. And in Nathan's words, God was going to put away David's sin. Or literally, cause to pass away or cause to pass from David. This Hebrew word and this form of the word is also used uh, by the prophet Zechariah when he recounts the vision God gave him of, of Joshua the high priest. And we see this in Zechariah 3, verses 3 and 4. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, See, I have taken, I have taken, cause to pass or put away. I have taken your iniquity from you, and you will clothe, and will clothe you with festal robes. God causes David's sin to pass from, uh, to pass from him, so that he does not die. But in the end, someone does die: the baby, the the innocent son. The king will live in spite of his sins, and yet another will die because of those same sins. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Ross, like, can God really do this? Can, can he really do this? And most of us don't have a problem with God showing David mercy. We loved when God shows us mercy. We love when he shows us mercy. And we, and, and we should. But in the end, we're no different from David. All of us deserve to die for our sins. As the Apostle Paul would later write in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We want, we really, we need the, the same mercy that David was given. But we are sometimes tempted to believe that mercy is God's obligation. That somehow he just has to be merciful to us. But that isn't true. Mercy is not God's obligation. Paul would go on to quote Exodus 33:19 in Romans 9:15 where he says this for he says to Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion But it's not the mercy part that we have a problem with it's the fact that God afflicted a baby that's what bothers most people but that should force us to ask this question, does God have the right to take a life? The Bible's answer is always yes. God gives life, and as the author of life, he can take it away. God is the author of life. He gives, and he can take. David knew where his children came from. He confessed this in 1 Chronicles 28.5, For the Lord has given me many sons. For the Lord has given me. He knew where his children came from. They came from the Lord. And just as God can take life, he can also take one in the place of another. Instead of wiping out Egypt, he took their firstborn sons. 
Instead of taking all of, their, all of the firstborn Israelites for, for his service, God took all of the male Levites in their place. Instead of taking a human sinner, God would accept an animal sacrifice. It is his law, and both as lawgiver and judge, God decides the verdict. And his decisions are always good and right and just. No exceptions. Ultimately, David's child was, was not truly innocent. None of us, none of us are. Sure, that child was not guilty of adultery and murder as David was, but he was nevertheless tainted by sin. God affirms this general truth, in, or David affirms this general truth in the very same psalm of repentance we talked about earlier. In verse 5 of Psalm 51, David writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Like that baby, all of us are rebels from the womb. We are born with not a God-centered, but a self-centered orientation. Therefore, God can rightly remove us from this world whenever he sees fit. And I believe God did that very thing here for the greatest of all reasons. I don't think we can say that this baby truly bore David's sin or atoned for David's sin, but I do believe God was painting a picture here, a picture to prepare us. You see, if all of us, like David, truly deserve to die, then like David, we too can live because an innocent son died instead. And think about this. Are you more disturbed about God afflicting David's infant son or about the affliction God brings to the one the prophet Isaiah described? Isaiah 53 says this, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. For all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And moving forward to verse 10, it says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. You deserve to die. I deserve to die. But Jesus, the truly innocent son, was afflicted. He was condemned to die because of our sins. You see, because of what David did, someone deserved to die. God could not simply brush justice under the rug. And his baby could not truly take David's sins. No, his death, his death was merely a picture pointing us forward to Jesus, the one who would die for what David did. He died so that David could receive mercy, so that David could ultimately receive forgiveness from God. Going back to Romans 3, 23 through 26, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a prop propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. 
for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Yes, it should be hard to hear about this baby suffering and dying, but God used that infant's death in order to preserve David and, as we will see, preserve David's royal line, the family line by which the Messiah would one day come. And I believe, because of what Jesus would do, that he will be taken into the presence of God. So, are you truly alive today? Has, has the sentence of death been lifted from your life because the innocent son, son was afflicted? It can be. If you have received God's mercy because of Jesus, think about what David's response to this mercy teaches us about our response. David's response should be instructive. In spite of sin, David remained a man after God's own heart. I like how one writer, in, in, in a commentary that I read, how he expresses this. It's, uh, Dale Ralph Davis, you'll see it in your notes, says, To be a man after God's own heart is not to be sinlessly perfect, but to be, among other things, utterly submissive to the accusing word of God. See, David, the question comes up. He's, he's a man after God's own heart, and, the, and people are like, well, how can he be a, God after, a man after God's own heart if he continues to, to do these things, or he did this, that, and the other? But what we see about David is that he is utterly submissive to the accusing word of God. He repents of his sins. He, he recognizes he's not sinlessly perfect. None of us are. But are you submissive to the accusing word of God? See, after having experienced God's grace, David became fixated on God's grace. It affected everything he did in the aftermath of God's mercy. Think about what we learned from, from these verses about being fixated on grace. One is that David knew it should have been him. When you think about the cross of Jesus, do you remember that it should have been you up there? should have been me up there. What a sobering and a humbling thought. David knew God's grace was his only hope. Realizing that God's grace was the only reason he was still standing, David understood that God's grace continued to be his only hope in the face of the present crisis. He makes this very clear in verse 22. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. David knew God. He knew firsthand of the surprising nature of God's grace. Having received the fullness of God's grace in Jesus... We are, are we moving forward in grace? We've already received it. Are we moving forward in grace? Confessing that God's grace is our only hope in all the difficulties that we face. That God's grace is the only hope for those around us who are suffering. David knew God was worthy to be worshipped. Even though the baby died... David understood that God remained worthy of all praise. Of all praise. David had experienced God's mercy and God's justice. 
Was he able to figure everything out? Was David able to make sense of it all? No. Therefore, he was humbled and driven to worship the one who was much greater than us, who is much greater than us, the one who holds not only life and death in his hands, but also mercy and grace. The mercy and grace we have received through Jesus, the truly innocent son, should drive us to worship, no matter the circumstances. Even when we have suffered loss, why? Because even in our loss, God is working for our eternal gain. It's, it's in your notes. It's not on the slide. Oh, there it is. Just kidding. Even in our loss, God is working for our eternal gain. There's one last bit here, one last piece in this story and I want to look at verses 24 and 25. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went in to her and lay with her. And she gave birth to a son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. While David will still have to face the divine consequences that have been laid out for him, he is reminded of God's ongoing mercy in the birth of a new baby, Solomon. But it's even better than that. Unlike, Dave, unlike any of David's sons or daughters, this baby is given a special name by God himself. His name is Jedidiah, which means beloved of Yahweh. You see, David is comforted by this new baby because this new baby reassures him that, that God's promise, also given through Nathan, God's promise to give his family an eternal throne will stand. He will face the consequences of his sin, but he will do so with hope in God's promise. And when the gospel writer Matthew sets out to record the genealogy of Jesus, he describes this, in, uh, this link in the chain of these words in Matthew 1.6. It actually says, uh, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And in, in Matthew, in, any reader of Matthew 1.6, uh, familiar with the Old Testament, would understand the importance of calling Bathsheba the wife of Uriah. And it should reassure us as well. It should remind us of the firm, unshakable, and indestructible promise that we have in Jesus. Forgiveness now, forgiveness forever. Love now, love forever. And life now, and life forever. The, the book of Hebrews is is an amazing book. One of the reasons it is so powerful is because it is so clearly explains how we have, or what we have through Jesus is so much better than what was given in the Old Testament. The author speaks of the better things, things that belong to salvation. Well, I'm going to walk through all the things here, the, the better things that we find in Hebrews. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Chapter 7, verse 19, a better hope a better covenant, better promises, better sacrifices, better possession and a lasting one, a better country that is a heavenly one, 
better life. God has provided something better for us. David was given a lesser sentence, but when God's word came to him, we have a better message. Forgiveness. It's forgiveness that not only sets us free from the past, but that restores us to God in the present and assures us a future life in God's presence. It's all because of the innocent son who died. Have you received what is so much better? Do you recognize that your life today is so much better because of what Christ did? I pray that you do. But I want to take this moment to reflect on that. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Do you recognize how much greater your life is because of what Jesus did? This is between you and the Lord. This is... 100% between you and Lord. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Just sit and meditate. Think about this in, in, in this moment. All the things that he has done by the death, burial, and resurrection, the freedom, the victory. What is it in your life that he has given you power and authority over? It's everything. You just have to receive it. And how many ways has he turned your life around? How many ways has he transformed your life? How many ways has he touched your life? Because of the Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for your people. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promise, for your mercy and your grace. Lord, as we talk on the forgiveness that we have received, may you expose in us the forgiveness that we have not yet given. May we release those people to you today, Lord. May we release the unforgiveness in our hearts. The power of life and death are in the tongue. So as we speak it out in faith, boldly, with truth, if you have somebody come, come on your heart that you have yet to forgive, I want you to come to these altars, stay in your seat, whatever you need to do, but release it, speak it out with your word, speak it out with your mouth, speak it out with your tongue. Lord, I release this person. I will no longer hold on to unforgiveness because it is killing me. It is strangling me. And I have yet not seen it. But your word, Father, calls us to forgive. And how can I go through a life, Lord, of not forgiving those based upon the greatest forgiveness, the greatest mercy and grace that you have given me? We thank you, Father. We praise you, Jesus. It is in your mighty name I pray. Amen.
Let's stand in worship. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.